1: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you and be with you and worship with you. And now, open the word with you. Let's start with a prayer. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, amen. So I also went to this conference called the Gospel Coalition Conference and it was such a blessing for me. Um, There were about, I think, seven to nine plenary sessions where the 7,200 people would gather, we would worship together and listen to a message. And I was was reflecting, every time I would hear a message, uh, tears would well up in my eye and then they would come down, like a lot. And then uh, every message, I, I and so I'm just being raw with you, just trying to be honest. And then I thought, I thought I like everybody was doing this. So I was like, yeah, this, every single message is so good. I'm like weeping in every message, and then Sung would respond. So what's new? <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's who you have for a pastor. Um, but just to just to be in a in a place where you can just listen to the word, and have it expounded is such a privilege. It's such an honor. This is what God has given us. He has given us this church where we can be centered around the word and we can see God speak to his people. And this is what we are listening to. That's why we perk up. That's why we sit up and our spirits are awake because this is not just any word. It's not just any kind of words put into a book, but we believe that this is the word of the Lord. And so when we read it, our spirits, when we can actually see, when God opens your eyes and he opens your ears, then you see that these words give life. And you start loving this word. And you know what these words can do. And so we came back from the conference. I just wanted to debrief more and share more with you all, but we just had two people give a testimony but because about um, 9 to 11 of us went, um, I think you could ask any one of us to, to give, us, uh, give you a brief download. Um, besides the plenary, there were three breakout sessions, and you could go to certain breakout sessions. Like I went to one about Jonah and uh, about denominations and things like that. And so I would love to share if anybody is curious. And I actually hope that We can take uh, the testimonies and kind of put it in the sermon part. So if anybody wants to listen to it, they can listen to Hesu and Jubin's testimony about the TGC. I thought thought it was so good. Thank you both for sharing uh, what you went through. And uh, there are so many more people that did go. So let's get to the word today. This was read... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, we're going from unity now to maturity. And let's really quickly review verses 11 through 12. And 11 through 12, he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So if you look at these verses, what is the model of? That you see is given to the church by Christ. What's the model? And what a popular model is the pyramid. The pyramid is a popular one that's been used where the pastor is precariously perched on the top and it's he's in the pinnacle, and somehow everything flows to the inferior laity. Um, another popular one is the bus. So if you look at a church, what's a church supposed to look like? It's either a pyramid or a bus and where the pastor is the bus driver. So he's driving the bus. See, this is a big wheel, right? And driving the bus. And then everybody else is in the back sleeping. They're relaxing to heaven. Like, mm, take me to heaven. Um, however, the model that we see in the scriptures is entirely different. The whole church Is the body of Christ. Are you listening? The whole church is the body of Christ. And each and every single member has a function. The pastor and teacher was given to the church. Was given to the church to equip every member to thrive. John Stott writes about this. When he saw, like, what would a church look like if it was to look like this? And he saw this modeled in an Episcopal church, influenced by the charismatic movement. If you don't, if, if you don't know the significance of this, it's like East and West coming together. An Episcopal church, super high liturgy church, uh, influenced by the charismatic movement. And this church was in uh, Darien, Connecticut, Connecticut is just a a weird word. Connect, I cut. But I I thought it meant something. But apparently it just, it sounded like uh, a Native American term for what it was. So eh, it means Long River. But anyway, so Connecticut, in in Connecticut, there's this church. So he goes to this church, and in front of the bulletin, uh, there's the name of the rector. The rector just means uh, head pastor. So, senior pastor, there's the name of the rector, then the assistant rector, and then the assistant to the rector, and then minister, colon, is the entire congregation. There's the rector, associate rector, assistant, so if we were to put it in our terms here, it would be the senior pastor, the associate pastor, assistant to the pastor, and then minister the entire congregation. And this is what he goes. He was startled. If you don't know who John Stott, he is a hero of the faith. He is a theological giant. But this startled John Stott, and he would go on to say, but it was undeniably biblical. Undeniably biblical. So Christ's immediate purpose in giving the pastors and teachers to his church is that through the ministry of the word, all the people will be equipped for their various ministries. This is why the word is so important. This is something that needs to be taught and preached. I'm not talking about me being conservative or liberal or whatever you want to label it as. It is Christ's intent for the pastor or teacher to use Christ's word to equip the saints. So to recap verses 11 and 12, Christ bestows gifts on his church. His gifts are diverse and wonderful. And while the teaching gift is primary, it is to equip God's people for the ministries and the building up of Christ's body. So what does it mean to build up Christ's body? The word that was read today, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Attain the unity? If you're paying attention, Pastor Paul preached on this. I thought unity was given to us from God. And we were called to maintain unity. What do you mean attain unity? If unity exists as a gift, how can it be attained as a goal? Ooh, Pitting Pastor Eugene versus Pastor Paul, right? No, that, that, actually, that's not it. First of all, this is not just any unity, but the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And to understand this, Paul follows up with to mature manhood. Manhood andros means man, but it really means full adulthood And I I love this nuance of manhood that's used because it would have brought the reader to see the Son of God, Jesus, fully God and fully man. And to qualify that, he goes even further, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you are paying attention then you are seeing this crescendo of the beauty of how God wants you to mature. As we are building up Christ's body, we are to think of, reflect on, and obey, think of, reflect on, and obey Jesus Christ. This fullness and maturity is demanded In true unity. So here is what I'm saying. Unity demands maturity. Unity demands maturity. We are united to grow with a purpose. There is a destination. A goal. It's not just so that we can hoot and holler and get excited that we're done. Yay, Jesus did it for us. He gave us unity. Okay, now let's sleep in the back of the bus. The goal is is to mature in unity, which comes from knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. So yes, we do have unity in Christ, but it is not a static unity. It needs to be maintained, and we need to grow. That's what this first verse is saying. Unity demands maturity. So that, Paul goes on, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Meaning we are no longer, look at the words here, immature, divided children. We are no longer divided, immature children. You see the picture? Mature unity versus divided infants. We were at this conference, and um, Brooke and Sam, uh, they, they, you know, they were just mock fighting. They were play fighting. They were arguing. Uh, perhaps deep in their heart, they had some... No, no, I'm sure they loved each other. But um, Brooke and Sam were just kind of you know, arguing, and then Pastor Paul would run up to them, and then he'd point his finger at them. And he said, Hope, Martin, which is the names of his kids, stop fighting, right? And he would... <laughs> He was calling them his children because children fight like that. Do you see unity demands maturity and if you are divided you're like immature children. That's the picture that you see and immature children are tossed to and fro you know. That is the word, the same word used in Luke eight twenty four when the boat was being thrashed around and the disciples were like, we're going to die. Jesus, please save us. That's the word, tossed to and fro. If you are divided, immature children, you're like being tossed to and fro until Jesus comes and calms the storm. Oh, man, that, that word would have just been like, whoa. And then he goes, carried about. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness. So carried about, periphero, in this Greek word, is like not just carried about. It's a violent swinging. And if you heard that word, the violent swinging, it would automatically make you think, that would make me dizzy and nauseous. That's the kind of word carried about, tossed to and fro, carried about, this violent swinging. By what? By what? Number one, every wind of doctrine. What about this idea? Why can't this idea work? Pastor Eugene, you're always so, "Mm, Bible, Bible, the Bible says this. What about this idea? What about that idea? Well, you know what? Even if you say that, this other group says this. Every wind of doctrine being tossed To and fro, being carried about. Number two, human cunning. I have a word for that. It's called politics. Human cunning. It's called politics. It's like, you know what? If I situate myself here and I get a group of people to believe what I believe, then we could rally this group up and make some noise and shake this church. Human cunning which is politics. Number three, craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now we're going even, just, it's just getting worse. Craftiness in deceitful schemes means let's keep quiet. Let's keep quiet until the congregational vote. Then I'll show them. Then I'll make some noise. I disagree. Craftiness, you start scheming things. You know, I'm not talking about if you disagree with me, you know, you should just, Stay quiet, or if you disagree with another elder, you should just stay quiet. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. If you don't agree, then we are here to talk, we are here to share, we are here to love and pray through all these things. Why do you have a stage like this? You know, shouldn't the word if you keep on going? The word should be central. So, shouldn't you put yourself right there in the middle? And you know, that, that, I don't know. That's a good idea. Perhaps it might be weird because I'll be rotating. Hello, this is, but. Why would you wait until you can make some noise? It's a deceitful scheme. You talk to us. We talk to each other. This is what children do. Divided, immature children. Every wind of doctrine. Human cunning. Craftiness and deceitful schemes. And I'm not talking maybe there are some serious stuff. But this is how you play it out is wrong. If you play it out this way... It is wrong. Someone in the back agrees with me. This is terrible, right? So in how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we not do this? How do we be people that are not tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes? Paul doesn't leave us alone. He gives us help because we need it. In verses 15 and 16, he starts off by saying, rather, rather than doing that. You know, when we are desperate, I guarantee you, you will fall into one of these three categories. When we are desperate and we feel we are trapped in a corner and I am terrified, I am hurt, I am bitter, I am angry, you will do one of these three things. I guarantee it. Because we don't know any other way except in Jesus there is a rather. Rather than doing what you want or what you're inclined to do. He goes, rather speaking truth in love. That is a powerful statement. Rather speak in truth in love. If you're a pastor or an elder, they stood You cannot use one of these three things to serve your church. You will not use one of these three things to serve this church. If you are a member of the body of Christ, you will not use one of these three things to disrupt the church. You will not be blown away, tossed to and fro, use politics, use schemes to disrupt the church. Rather, speak truth in love. Tim Keller writes this, and he wrote this in a 2015 Facebook post that I remember. Tim Keller wrote this about truth and love. He said, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really Hear it. Love without truth is sentimentality, but truth without love is harshness. There's also a similar quote to this if you have read The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller and Kathy Keller. But if uh, this is in 2015, so back then I looked at the comments. So in 2015, there was a comment by a husband and a wife. They would comment and they would write, we are working on this exclamation mark. I love that comment. We are working on this. Truth and love, we are working on this. And I wish if we could comment as a church, we would write, Truth in love, we are working on this. We are working on this. When we speak truth in love, we are really speaking truth. And when we speak truth in love, we are really speaking love. They must go together. And we are growing in these things. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? By growing in this, we are growing up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You know, growing is a corporate concept in the Bible, meaning you do not grow alone. You know, we've had leaders in this church or in other churches where they would have no community They would not be able to have community with anybody. No one would keep them accountable. And when someone would tell them something, they wouldn't listen. Listen to me. You will not grow. You will stay a child separated from the rest of the group. And look, I do not want to see that happen. I've seen it happen too many times. I'm not an old man, but I'm old enough to know that it happens too many times. And I want to tell you, get involved in a group. From the bottom of my heart, I want to tell you, get involved with a group, small group affinity group, women's group, get pastoral counseling, get vulnerable, but get involved in a group. You have to realize that some of these beliefs that you have might be downright wrong. Yes, I read commentaries and books on certain doctrines, but I avail myself to these pastoral groups that keep me accountable. I have elders that love me enough that will keep me accountable. I have you guys to tell me, hey, this, this was rough, or this was good. And if it's rough, you have said to me, and this is why I'm really thankful for a lot of you. When it was rough, you have said to me, please help me understand this. I praise God for that heart that he gave you. But I'm going to be raw here again. I don't know everything. I want to. I wish I did. But I'm growing too. And if you came up to me and you asked, hey, are we a pre millennialist, a millennialist, post millennialist? I would tell you, I am praying long and hard about these difficult questions and doctrines. And I do think they're important. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's cool. It's fine. It's just something we call eschatology. Uh there are movies about like some like rapture, people disappearing. Like there are movies about that, like you're holding a baby, all of a sudden it's gone. It's like, ah, oh, my baby's gone. anyway. That that's not good doctrine. That's just fantasy and fiction. But there is it comes from some doctrines in the Bible. Bottom line get yourself involved with a group. In our church, I'm not talking about supplemental groups. You know, I love listening to podcasts. I listen to podcasts over music any day. You could ask my wife when we're driving. My instinct is just to listen to another sermon. It's not. (laughs) Sorry, Esther. But uh, she is a very gracious woman, and I'm thankful for her. Uh, But uh, I'm not talking about supplemental groups. I'm not talking about getting involved with outside church groups. Don't get me wrong. I love supplements. Look at my like, closet. I have vitamins up the wazoo. I love supplemental studies. But that's exactly what they are. They're supplements. You need a main diet. Read and study the Bible in a large group. This is the large group. Sunday. And a small group. You need a main diet. You know... <clears throat> When there was a difficult doctrine that came up in one of our leadership uh, meetings, uh, it was about gender roles in the church. And a wonderful sister that I am so thankful for, that I love dearly, a wonderful sister here asked me this question. When I talked about gender roles, or biblical gender roles, she asked me, is this your goal? Is it your goal to teach this? And I could emphatically state, no, it's just the beginning. My devotion to you is to teach the Bible, everything in it. I don't have anything even close of worth that I can bring to you that's in, that's in here. My devotion, my commitment to you is to teach this word and to proclaim it because I believe it to be true. Every ounce, every tittle, every dot, every word. I don't have anything else that even comes close to the beauty of God's word. But what I won't do is just because it's difficult, I will not skip it. I will not hide it. I will not say it's too hard. Never mind. Because I want to ask you a question. This is a serious, raw question for everyone here to really listen and ponder. Why do you think churches stop maturing? Why do you think churches stop growing? I really want you to answer that in your heart. Why do you think so many churches stop maturing? Why do you think you've stopped maturing? Once God reveals through his word, his will for you and for his church, and you don't obey, why in the world would God give you anything else? Why would he give you more? You can't even do step two. The goal is to mature fully into spiritual adulthood. That is why we must grow in truth and love. I don't think truth is truth without love. And I don't think love is love without truth. And here is the truth in love. You have a part to play. Through the Holy Spirit and by God's word, you are being equipped to do that. And are you doing that? Are you playing the part you were gifted to play? Pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you. Because if it's a sin that's blinding you, you need your eyes opened. And if it's a weakness or a weakened spirit for whatever reason, Pray that God will give you strength, okay? If it's a sin, pray for forgiveness, repent, repent of your heart. It could be your heart. It might not even, you might need, to say, I'm not actually doing anything, but I just have this bitterness. I have this anger. I have this resentment. That sin, it's blinding you, it's binding you. Pray that God will release you from that, forgive you from that. But if your spirit could also be weakened, you could be tired. Man, there's a lot of things the world throws at us. Then pray that your spirit will be revived and strengthened. Let's take this time to pray. Just as we were convicted by the word, we are to be a church that speaks truth in love. Love in truth. Are we doing that? Are we growing in that? And I tell you, we must. We must. And as the Holy Spirit convicts your heart now, lift up an honest heart to the Lord so that you, Christ's body, can grow into full adulthood. Let's pray.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Hezu, and I'm here to share a testimony about the conference that I was able to go with with a number of people from our church uh, this week. Uh, From Sunday to Wednesday, I went to the Gospel Coalition Conference, along with 10 other people from our CGS congregation, including our pastors and a number of our elders and deacons. When several people asked me to go, I immediately said no, uh, thinking of my finances and my limited vacation days. I also didn't know if it was practical for me to go to a conference like this when I didn't feel like there would be a direct application for me to do it since I'm not in full-time ministry. Uh, When I brought this up to Pastor Eugene, he rebuked me. He encouraged me to go and learn, not for the sake of teaching and practical application, but to go and learn simply because I find Jesus beautiful. So I went. Uh, This was my first time at a Christian conference, so TGC was by far the largest gathering of Christians I had ever been a part of. With over 7,200 attendees, I was immediately overwhelmed by the sheer size of everything. And I really loved most the privilege of singing and learning together with a large body of Christians from all over the world. When we sang hymns and songs of praise together, it felt like it was like we were partaking in a heavenly choir with 7,000 voices proclaiming together, all hail the power of Jesus's name. It was hard not to be moved to tears. And so it really felt like those three days that it was like a tiny glimpse of heaven where one day we'd worship and sing with every creature in heaven and on earth together. And I can say that one reason that I was so blessed during this conference was that there was nothing more important during this three day event than God's word. Every speaker, from the eight main sessions to the dozens of breakout and auxiliary sessions that we attended, um, held God's word and His command to such a high regard. And you could tell it—you could tell how much they loved the word from the way that they handled the word and the way that they faithfully preached from it. And I really saw the beauty of God's believers gathering together to learn more of His word, to be encouraged, and to worship our God together. And I felt like that during TGC, I really learned the beauty of uh, gathering and scattering. So when we gathered, we learned that we had to repent of trying to save ourselves. And we were blessed by the desperate faith of a pagan woman. And we were rebuked that we were conflating our idolatries to become our identities. And then through the faithful preaching of God's word, we were then challenged to scatter. Uh, David Platt, the author of Radical, in a powerful message, encouraged us to make the proclamation of God's word primary in a world of spiritual need. And to make the power of Jesus' love primary in a world of physical need. To know that Jesus' love covers both our spiritual and our physical need it was such a powerful truth that we learned from scripture together. And we were challenged to have confident, compassionate, creative, and contagious faith so that we could persevere daily in personal evangelism in, in an avenue that many of us had already given up to unbelieving family, to unbelieving friends, to unbelieving coworkers. We were so encouraged that we should not give up because Jesus' love and Jesus' word is all the seed that, uh, that is required for real faith to germinate. Um, In my own breakout session called Evangelism in the Arts, I was encouraged to use my God-given creativity in the arts to create great things for the sake of drawing people to Christ and to strive to be an agent of transformation in our culture. So I went to this conference this year with little to no expectation, but I came out encouraged, strengthened, and emboldened as a member of God's greater church. I believe that this is God's design for us that we could find mutual edification in a larger body so that we can then be scattered to preach God's word. Um, I believe that next, I hope that next time a few more of you will go and so that you can see the beauty of Jesus in a larger gathering. Thank you.
2: I'm going to give a slightly different testimony. Um, Also from the gospel coalition we went. Um, I'm going to talk about this little breakout session I took. It was called Why Gospel Driven Church by Jared Wilson. He recently wrote a book called Why Gospel Driven Church. It was released uh, last month. Um, And he was talking about what gospel-centered means uh, for churches today. That word is used interchangeably with Christ-centered or Jesus-centered uh, we say that our church is Christ-centered. What does that even mean? Um, that term is used overused in evangelical ministries now, and everybody says that now. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be gospel-centered? And during the Q and A, someone actually asked, um, "Our church says Jesus-centered or Christ-centered. Is that the same as gospel-centered?" Um, his answer was, "He prefers gospel-centered because essentially Christ-centered is." pointing to the same thing, but gospel-centered deserves an explanation of what Christ-centered means. Like, what did Jesus come to do? And because that goes to a deeper meaning, he prefers gospel-centered. So we talk about what gospel-centered churches are and what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church. And I was sitting there thinking about our church and seeing all the different ways that we are gospel-centered and how our lives reflect this. And how our ministries reflect this. So I'm just going to go over some of the points that he talked about. Um, number one, gospel-centered churches are constantly reminding of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul starts off the first line, he's reminding the church of this message that he spoke to them in the beginning when they were first saved. Um, this is constantly going back. This, re, this kind of points to our, our reformed churches. We are constantly reforming. We are always going back to the gospel. And... What does gospel mean? It's good news. This whole conference was called the Gospel Coalition, so it's a coalition of people trying to spread this good news. Um, And to do that, we have to be reminded of ourselves of this good news. Number two, gospel-centered churches are constantly reprioritizing. It doesn't mean that we change things around and like uh, put something first, saying like, "Oh, the gospel needs to be first in order." But our standard should always be on the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So everything in whatever we're doing or planning or reprioritizing should be that this message of the gospel is there. Um, And that's what it's working towards. And gospel-centered churches are constantly repenting. He said this one line that really hit me. He said, we disbelieve our way into sin, so we need to believe our way out of sin. We disbelieve everything. Oh, he can't do that. Oh, I can't I can't do this. Uh, that's I'm I'm not good enough for that or I, you just don't believe it. The the way we live our lives, we don't we don't believe in this truth. So we need to believe our way into the gospel, into this good news and transform our lives. So we're constantly repenting. Lord, I I just don't measure up. I sin all the time. I can't I can't do this on my own. So we have to be repenting and always turning back to God. And this and, The gospel is really our grounds for justification and sanctification because we cannot do this on our own by following law or following works. He also said gospel-centered churches are constantly reforming because, like I said, none of us are really measuring up to God. We don't drift towards God. We don't wake up going, oh, yeah, today I'm going to live the gospel out. I usually wake up and go, oh, what do I got to do next? And when I'm driving, I'm like, this guy needs to get out of my way because I'm late for work. So everything revolves around me. It's they need to live up to my standard. He needs to be driving at my speed. He needs to be, you know. So it's everything I do when I wake up is self-centered. We don't just automatically drift towards God. We have to be constantly reforming, constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. And when we look at our church, we we try to add this into all of our ministries uh, as we send people out to missions. We send them out with this message saying, this is the gospel message. Share it with everyone. Uh, We have to constantly remind ourselves at every meeting, every prayer meeting, every session meeting, every deacon meeting, this is why we do this. Because this redeeming work of Christ is in us. And we need to share it with everyone. And so we want to be this gospel-driven church. And to do that, we need everyone here, every one of us, to remind each other constantly of the gospel message. That the holy triune God came at a perfect time, lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and resurrected and went back home to heaven so that no one can say anything. There's no religion, nothing on this earth that, that can claim this or even have power over this. There is no other power higher than this. There is no competition. So hold fast to the gospel.